Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Reminds me of every time I would see my mother. Forever, we had the same conversation. That always went like this. Tommy, I'm so proud of you. You've done so much. And then I would say, no, mom, it's all of God. It's what he has done. It's not me. And then she would say, no, you did it. (laughs) So anyway, that conversation repeated every time we would get together. Because it's so easy for parents to want to take pride in what happened to their kids. And it was very important to Joseph that he never be portrayed as the one who did it all. And that's why he said to his brothers, you tell dad in verse nine that it was God who made me Lord of all Egypt. And and God had made Joseph Lord of all Egypt. And and that was a living reality for Joseph. It was so, you know, so easy just to say, well, you know, just to to say, okay, God gave me everything, but, but secretly inside say, no, I really did it. You know, God helps those that help themselves, you know. That's the seed of pride. That's the seed of pride. It's so easy to not give God the credit for what he has done for us and to give ourselves the credit. And this is what the Bible calls a heart that is secretly enticed and a mouth that kisses the hand. They're very graphic in Job 31. Job 31, 25, and then 27 and 28. Job 31, 25 says, If I rejoiced because my wealth was great, because my hand had gotten much, verse 27, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth has kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God who is above. See, Joseph kept this strict guard over his heart to keep it from being secretly enticed where he, where he would say, where, where his, he would say, my hand did it all. And then he would kiss his hand. No, he said, I'm not going to do that. And he said, yeah, I worked on this. He worked on this constantly. Now, Joseph, now, now Joseph, <coughs> we've seen how Joseph was, was telling him, go down and bring father back. Now, Pharaoh has gotten really involved in wanting, uh, Jacob come. And we see how involved he is in verse 19, verse 19, where Pharaoh said, now thou art commanded this do ye and take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, bring your father and come. So when Pharaoh says these words, thou art commanded this do you, that's very strong language. That's, that's very strong language. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a request. It's a command. He says, thou art commanded. 
And if anyone had any doubt as to whether or not Joseph had the authority to, to bring his father up and settle him in the best land of Goshen, it was all settled when, when Pharaoh gave this command. Now, you might wonder, well, if Goshen was the best land of Egypt, you think it was just sitting there empty for them? There wasn't anybody on there? There wasn't any current occupants? I mean, I mean, what are they supposed to do? Um, well, the famine had gotten to a point where the people ended up selling all their land for food. And so in the end, Pharaoh ended up owning all the land. But that doesn't mean that they're going to go joyfully. Oh, good. These Hebrews are going to come take over the best land. It, it reminds me, I can't help it, but it reminds me. Think about how Scanabot got the land in Budajira in Ethiopia, with this 95% Muslim city. When we went there and I met the mayor, the mayor was so excited that when I told him, you know, when he knew that I was a foreign investor, we were a foreign company, and that we wanted to move to his city, he was so excited that he actually went out of his office and went on the street and started telling people, you know, and said, hey, well, they got a foreign investor. Well, in Ethiopia, the government owns all the land, and everyone actually leases land from the government, sort of like Egypt in, in, in the time of Joseph. So he, he said, okay, we'll show you some land. So he started off on the show some land, drove way up this hill, this dirt road. That was awful. I said, no, 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 no. It's got to be on a paved road, I told the mayor. Well, that's a tall order in Ethiopia because only 13% of the roads are paved. And so, so then he showed us another piece of property, and it was pretty good. It was right on the paved road. It was, it was nice, kind of set a little bit lower from the paved road. It looked really nice. And we were making an agreement there that we were going to lease that land, standing out there in the middle of this plot parcel. And we we're standing there, and this little, must have been about eight-year-old boy, he, he, he's an Ethiopian. Of course, he's an Ethiopian boy. Everybody's Ethiopian, Ethiopian. Anyway, he comes running up to our group, and he said, are you going to get this land? Are you going to get this land? Because he lived nearby. And we said, yeah, we were. And then, he's, and, and then he, 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 he dragged one of the guys over to a tree, and he pointed up to the tree, about eight foot up on the tree. And then up on the tree, there was like this line, line, line of lime, like a lime line up there on the top. And, he, and then he started to explain to us, you know, during the rainy season, this becomes a lake, and that's the water level. <laughs> At that point, we're really ready to leave. I thought I was angry. I thought, we're going to make all this investment and be underwater. And so then we said, okay, we're leaving. That's it. And then the, the mayor said, no, wait, wait, wait. He says, wait, wait, wait. I, I got one more piece to show you that the, that the city had there. And it was a beautiful land, 12 acres. Oh, it's, you know, beautiful, gentle slope, great land. And, and that's the land that we ended up leasing. He got fired from being mayor for giving us that land. Anyway, now the only problem was is that the land was not vacant. There were farmers living on the land, and they were working the land, and they didn't want us to, they didn't want to leave the land. So the mayor went out and negotiated with them says, Look, and, and said, we're going to give you houses and business shops in the city as a compensation, you know, and so you won't be, you'll be businessmen, not farmers, but they still don't want to leave. And, and we were kind of wondering, why not? That's such a great offer, you know, a house and the city and so forth. 
Well, the land had corn growing on it. There was corn growing on it. And, you know, very typical in Ethiopia. It wasn't exactly straight rows. They were kind of all over the place, you know, the corn. But it was, but, and so we started to walk the land. And then we came to the middle of this corn crop patch. And here was this strange crop growing right in the middle of the land with lanes that were as straight as an Iowa cornfield. And, and the ground was perfectly manicured, and oh, it was so well cared for. And then we started to ask, what is that? And they said, well, that's chot. That's narcotics. That's cocaine. And we were then told by them, if you touch that crop, we'll kill you. <laughs> so, <clears throat> well, it wasn't going to work to have cocaine growing in the middle of God's property. So, 2 a.m. in the morning, we came, we cut all of it down, burned it, and they didn't kill us. But they cut down all the trees, including the 300-year-old banyan trees, which despite us. Now, we don't know if Pharaoh had this kind of trouble in, get, in, in, in getting, moving the current occupants off of Goshen, but it must not have been easy. So now, but, and, but Pharaoh, he, you can really see the sensitivity of his heart when, he, when, he, when he's very sensitive to Joseph's family, and he's really orienting himself to addressing what he, what he, what he knows will be issues. And so, uh, uh, obstacles, problems, uh, arguments of why they're not going to move. And so, and that's really the background of verse 19 when he commands, it says, take wagons for the little ones, the wives, the ch- <clears throat> and your father. And we can see when he says that, that Pharaoh is just anticipating what argument Jacob's going to have. And, and Pharaoh sees the argument of Jacob, and he sees Jacob saying, Egypt? That's so far. Our little children and our wives and, and me, I'm old. We can never make a trip like that. It'll be too hard. So he's foreseeing this problem, and Pharaoh is saying, take the transport wagons. Take the transport wagons and the children and the wives and Jacob can sit comfortably while they get brought into Egypt. So, so Pharaoh sends these wagons for the weak. And when he does that, it, it, it's really a picture of the Lord in James 5.11, James 5.11, which says the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. See, these wagons are an expression of the tender mercy on Pharaoh's part. And so Pharaoh, in other words, he's anticipating that Jacob's going to say, I'm old. Me and long trips, we're finished. There's no more long trips for me in life. I'm here. I'm settled down. That's it. So that's why he sent the wagons. But now he's also thinking, Pharaoh's also thinking, what could be the next problem? What could be the next argument that they would make in coming? And he thinks to himself, their possessions. It's everything they got there. They may not want to leave their houses and their possessions, and that's going to keep them from coming. So he says in verse 20, in verse 20, also, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, it's interesting, the Hebrew word here for stuff, which is not a bad word, (laughs) stuff, describes all the stuff that we have, right? But the Hebrew word for stuff here could be translated furniture, furniture. Now, it's amazing 
the things that, that, that we cling to and we can't see ourselves living without. Oh, the things that we get ourselves in bondage to, right? And it takes a, does it take a fire, Jim and Pam, to, to, to settle that issue where you think, I can't live without these things. And all of a sudden the fire comes to crest and you are living without those things, right? Well, this was the problem in Lot's wife. Lot's wife. She was so tied to, 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 to Sodom that she just couldn't leave it behind. So when it says in, in Genesis 19.15, Genesis 19.15, where it says, The morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, see, Lot was lingering, so he's thinking about it. The men, that's the angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife. She was really lingering. But they laid hold on both of them and upon the hand of the two daughters. And the Lord, be, and it says, the Lord being merciful unto them and brought them forth and set them without the city. They grabbed their hand. They said, come on, we're going, let's go. <clears throat> but then it says in Genesis 19.24, Genesis 19.24, the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became pillar of salt. See, Lot's wife was taken by the hand out of Sodom, but Sodom was not taken out of Lot's wife, out of her heart. And so she turns back with this longing look and then uh, she's turned into a pillar of salt. So when Pharaoh told them, don't consider, you know, when, you, when they were leaving, he was saying, it, 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 don't even consider when you're leaving. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. And Egypt had so much better things than they were leaving behind. So Pharaoh was saying to them, everything you need will be provided for you in Egypt. You can just leave everything behind. Jacob was to leave behind everything, all of his stuff leave. He was to leave with nothing, and he was to enter Egypt with nothing, and everything that Jacob needed would be provided for him in Egypt, and that was scary. That was scary for Jacob. He thought that everything he had in in Canaan, he thought about those things and everything that he had to leave and all he had was the promise from, from Joseph and Pharaoh that everything he needed would be provided for him in Egypt. And Jacob had to make a decision, and he had to take the decisive move to turn his back on all of his possessions. And Jacob could picture the Canaanites are going to rush in and take all my stuff. As soon as I leave, they're gonna, I can hear him saying, look at this. Wow. This is great. Oh, that guy was a fool to leave all these things. And so for Jacob to turn his back on all his stuff and just walk into Egypt with nothing, that was scary. It was scary. But that's what Jacob did. He left all his stuff behind and came into Egypt with nothing. And everything Jacob needed was given to him in Egypt. Now, that's an illustration. That's an illustration for us of when we see ourselves as Jacob, and instead of the time to leave Canaan, it's the time to die. It's the time to leave this earth. And just as it, as it was scary for Jacob to leave everything and leave it behind, it, it, it's for us the same to leave it all behind. 
And just as Jacob had the promise that everything he needed was prepared for him in Egypt when he got there. So we have the promise that everything that we're going to need has been prepared, that's the word, prepared for us in heaven when we get to heaven. That's why the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 2, John 14, 2, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it's written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So just as Jacob left Canaan with nothing, yet nothing, we're going to leave this world with nothing. I mean, Job said it in Job 121, Job 121, naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return. And as the, and, and, and from the lips of the man who had the greatest amount of possessions ever in the world, King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.15, Ecclesiastes 5.15, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. So just as Jacob here, he's entering into Canaan with nothing, we're going to enter heaven with nothing. And as Jacob received the land of Goshen that was prepared for him, we will enter into those mansions that the Lord Jesus has prepared for us. And we, but the problem is we get so attached to things. We get so attached to things. I had a problem with this especially. Well, I still have a problem, but I had a problem with this when I used to travel a lot. And believe it or not, it was over my suitcase and my briefcase. I just got so attached to my suitcase and my briefcase. And I was constantly thinking about, where's my suitcase? Where's my briefcase? And then I would go, always thinking about, well, you know, not only where were they, but what's inside and what's in every part. And I was constantly in my mind and actually doing this, arranging and rearranging everything with my suitcase. <clears throat> I had CRD, CRD, compulsive rearranging disorder. I mean, I had a list of where everything was, and it was my pajamas were in this pouch, and my T-shirts go here. I was constantly arranging and rearranging. My stepfather used to watch me, and he says, oh, you're, uh, he used to say, you're fine-tuning your suitcase again. <laughs> he would say it that way, fine-tuning. Well, Jacob was old, and we can imagine him saying, Egypt? I'm too old to go to Egypt. A long trip to Egypt? Me and long trips were finished, or it's over. I mean, it's such a strange place, Egypt. And really, just like us, we've never been to heaven. And things in heaven seem a little strange to us. You know, a three-dimensional city, streets of gold, glass seas. And we kind of cling to things down here below where we have this regular life routine. We cling. We like our routines in life. You know, it reminds me of my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin. Temeskin you know, our city in Budajir is a Guragi village. Temeskin also lived in a Guragi tribe village. It was just over the mountain from where Scanabody's Ethiopia's compound is now. Our, our, I told you our area was a Muslim city. His was not. His was a animist village. His uncle was the witch doctor. And death just plagued Temeskin's village. His, Temeskin's father's do, father died. Everybody was dying all around him. The only one who was left was him, his mother, and his sister. And he was just a little boy, Damascus was just a little boy, when a 24-year-old lady in the village was dying 
And to everybody's surprise, she cried out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he healed her. She didn't die. And, and then a man came uh, from a from neighboring place, a neighboring village, and he had a Bible with him with pictures. And, and the man explained the Bible using the, the pictures. And, and what happened was that Temeskin's family then, they believed, and they were saved wonderfully from their sins, and then they learned where the church was. It wasn't far away, and they started to go to the church. Now, they, they, they learned everything out of this Bible this man had, and they didn't have a Bible, and they wanted a Bible so much. So someone in the church gave to Temeskin's mother a Bible. Now, Temeskin's mother, she's about this tall, okay? And this Bible was about this tall. So this is huge coffee table Bible that they gave her, and, and, and she was a very small lady, but she was so happy to receive the Bible that she used to strap the Bible to her back, and like a backpack, and she went everywhere with her Bible. She couldn't read. She couldn't read, but she knew this was God's book, and she wanted to have God's book with her all the time, and she would go through the pictures and remember what the man had told her. Well, Temeskin's uncle, the witch doctor, was very angry with them going to church. It was bad for his business. So he used to, on Sunday mornings, he used to sit in the, in the opening to their hut, their mud hut there, and he would beat them if they tried to go to the church in the morning. So Temeskin's mother had an idea. We'll just keep getting up earlier and earlier till he's not there. And finally in the middle of the night, they would, they left and they went to church. And then, well, that's the way life was until Temeskin was 12 years old when on his left leg, he got this tremendous, massive growth, a tumor. It formed. And, and then the people in his village said, you need to go to the, to the government hospital in Addis, Addis Ababa, about two hours away. In, 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 and have it looked at. Like I say, I don't even know where his village was. I asked him more time, where is your village? And he says, well, you remember when you go out of Vadas and you come to that corner where they're auctioning off donkeys, uh, which describes a lot of places in Ethiopia, but I kind of remembered, yeah. He said, well, you go that way, but to, for me, you go this way on that road. Okay, that's where he was. Anyway, so he gives a big tumor. He's told that they have to go to the government hospital. They don't have any money for the bus fare. They don't have any money. But they owned a goat, so his mother sold the goat and bought the bus tickets to Addis. Now, when they got to the government hospital in Addis, they told Temeskin, you only have two months to live because what you have is a cancer called osteosarcoma, and, and, and it's going to kill you, and so your leg, it has to be amputated in order for you to have a chance to live. And we only have two orthopedic surgeons for Ethiopia. Think about that. Two orthopedic surgeons for 85 million people. And, and they, they are way, way booked out. There's no way that they can amputate your leg within two months. So you're going to die. And then they explained to him, there's something more we need to tell you. And that is that it's very expensive for us to transport a corpse back to your village. So would you please return to your village and just die there? Well, his mother was crying uncontrollably. His sister was crying. A cousin who lived in Addis had joined them. He was crying. Everybody's crying and crying. But Temeskin didn't cry. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 